Grace and peace, friends. Welcome back to United We Pray. I'm Austin Suter, one of the hosts of this show, and some of you may know that United We Pray is a ministry of Iron City Church, where Isaac is lead pastor. So today, instead of a normal episode, we wanted to share a portion of a sermon Isaac recently preached from Mark 9, which explores the connections between faith and prayer. Now, this portion of the sermon has been edited for length, so if you want to hear the whole thing, please click the link in the show notes. As always, thank you for listening and praying with us. What is our hope? What is our hope? We've seen what the real problem is, our unbelief. But is there any hope for us unbelieving, desperate disciples? Yes. Yes, there is hope. Here it is. Small faith is enough faith. The smallest of faith is enough faith. In other words, you don't have to have all the faith in the world for all things to be possible for you. No small faith is enough faith. A faith as big as a grain of sand, God will not despise. He welcomes it. He welcomes you. He wants your faith to grow. Yes, but he will not stand there with arms folded until it grows. No, even the prayers of the smallest faith, God will hear and delight in, sister, you prayed. Beloved, God will welcome even the smallest of faith so long as that faith is in Christ. Friends, here is hope. At the end of the day, what matters is not the strength the size or the steadiness of your faith, but that the object of your faith is Christ Jesus. By having faith in Christ Jesus, I don't mean simply that you believe he exists or that you read your Bible or that you grew up in the South where people say things like, Lord willing. And to be clear, the Bible commends saying, Lord willing, if you mean it, James chapter four. But beloved, what the Bible means by faith in Christ is what we see tonight. Reliance upon Jesus. The boy's dad staked all he had on Jesus, even when the faith he had wasn't that much. Just a little faith. I love how one commentator put it. He said, true faith is always aware of how small and inadequate it is. The boy's dad becomes a believer not when he amasses a sufficient amount of faith, but when he risks everything on what little faith he has, when he yields his insufficiency to the true sufficiency of Jesus. I believe, help my unbelief. I mean, what a prayer. I was talking to my elderly neighbor about this passage yesterday, and he said, quote, this text is for everyone. Because we all have doubts. We all have inconsistencies. We believe, but we don't believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. What a prayer. Notice before in our text, the boy's dad was talking. Uh, he was explaining the boy's condition to Jesus. But after Jesus' gentle rebuke, the boy's dad now cries out. The text says in verse 24, I believe, help my unbelief. Friends, do you see? The boy's dad was 
talking about the boy's problem, but the boy's dad cries about his unbelief, which seems to imply that the greatest challenge and obstacle we will have in our Christian journey is not so much our circumstances, but our unbelief. That's the thing that really excruciates us. Circumstances change. Problems come and go. Seasons change. The problems you were facing 10 years ago probably aren't the exact same problems you're facing today. But here I am with this same old unbelief. And yet, there is hope. Because we can bring that unbelief to Jesus. Friend, the next time you're tempted to think God can do it, but he probably won't do it. The next time you think God would love to do it, but he probably can't do it. Follow that up and pray. But Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. Beloved, our hope is that Jesus will not despise that prayer. Just as he didn't despise the prayer of this desperate dad, our hope is that Jesus will meet us there in that place of small faith. Sisters and brothers, if our faith is but a seed, Jesus is like a gardener who tends to and patiently waits on the most precious of flowers. He will not despise small faith so long as you stake it on him. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for that. God sees you. And you may be praying with a mustard seed of faith and you may not be seeing the result, the answer you hope for. And again, that is hard. Let's not pretend. Let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not just slap a Bible verse on it. That is hard. Especially... Because this text sure makes it sound like, okay, if, if you have mustard-sized faith, anything's possible. Now, the, equation, the equation seems to be, we believe, we ask, we get what we want. In Matthew's telling of our account tonight, Jesus says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. But Matthew, Jesus, if that's true, why do some things still feel so impossible for me? Surely I'm not the only Christian in this room who has ever felt that. Why does it still seem to be impossible for my sick relative who I've prayed and prayed for to get healed? Why does it seem impossible for my non-Christian neighbors who I'm praying for and evangelizing and praying for? Why does it seem impossible for them to get saved? Why does it seem impossible for my work situation to change? Why does it seem impossible for that person to notice me? God's willing, right? God's able, right? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Friends, these are natural questions. And the pastoral counsel I have for you is to remember that just because God doesn't give us everything we want, that doesn't mean he doesn't want what's best for us. 
just because God doesn't give you everything you want, that doesn't mean he doesn't want what's best for you. Or that he doesn't give you what's best. First John 5.14 says, this is the confidence that we have toward God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So we may not get everything we want right now, but God will give us everything we need. Every Christian has to learn this hard lesson. No exemptions. Paul, 2 Corinthians 12 says, prayed with faith three times and God did not remove his thorn. But later Paul noticed how this thorn helped him experience more of God's power. The thorn actually built his faith. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. But we don't need to flip to Paul or 2 Corinthians to see what faith looks like when it doesn't hear and when it when it hears an answer it doesn't want. A church family, we can just look to Jesus. Turn to Mark 14, Mark chapter 14. It's on page 799 of the Pew Bibles. In Mark 14, we see Jesus on the worst night of his life. He's just predicted how his best friend, Peter, who was on the mountaintop with him, will deny and abandon him. Jesus is about to be unjustly arrested and killed. And this is what he prays. Look at verse 36, verse 36. And Jesus said, he prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Sounds like Mark chapter nine, all things are possible. And so Jesus asks, remove this cup from me, right? Remove the suffering I have to endure. Remove that from me. That's the request. Yet here is the resolve, yet not what I will, but what you will. Beloved, I don't know why. God doesn't answer your prayers the way you want him to sometimes. But I know that I'm thankful that the father didn't remove that cup from Jesus. That he didn't answer Jesus's prayer request how Jesus wanted. Because if the father did do that, I would not be here and neither would you. In other words, God always does what's best, even when, especially when we can't see it. And if Jesus can pray, not my will, but your will, if he can pray that in his darkest hour, beloved, by his grace, you can too. And one day, you will see and never doubt that God who can do all things works all things for good for those who believe. Beloved, Jesus sees you. He knows what it's like to hear no from the Father. And yet, you know how the story ended for Jesus. It ended in glory. Beloved, that's how it ends for you. 
but we're not there yet, which means we have work to do. Question number three, what's our job? What's our job? Sisters and brothers, our job is something I said in my first sermon to you. It is to keep believing and therefore to keep praying. Our job is to keep praying in faith, even mustard-sized seed faith, even mustard-sized seed of faith. Uh, you see, the boy's dad was not the only one who struggled to believe in this passage. Uh, the disciples are having their own faith, or lack thereof, revealed. It's ironic. I think the boy's dad actually had more faith than he realized, and the disciples had less than they realized. Oh, you might have forgotten about the disciples as we've focused on this desperate dad, but we left the disciples in a place of discouragement, of defeat. After all, this whole dilemma with the boy and his dad and Jesus happened because the disciples could not defeat this demon. And the disciples want to know why. Why couldn't we cast out this demon? Verse 28, look with me. And when he, Jesus, had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Oh, Jesus, we've cast out demons before. Why not now? Why? Brother, sister, you are not the only follower of Jesus to ever ask why. And Jesus says in verse 29, look again, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. In other words, Jesus says there is one way to get this situation resolved, and it's by asking God, asking me. Friends, do you see the desperate dad earlier? He might have believed but needed help with his unbelief, but at least he asked Jesus to help him. The desperate dad was praying. He was talking to Jesus, asking for help. But Jesus' own disciples, the guys who had been rocking with him, right? From day one, they've seen the flood. They've seen the feedings. Jesus' own disciples clearly did not pray. They did not ask for help with this demon because if they had, they would have defeated it. Prayer drives this demon out, but they didn't pray, so they didn't drive him out. Friends, the dad was willing to, pr to pray, but the disciples weren't. You can imagine them battling with this demon, pulling out every trick they knew from their exorcism bag of tricks, except the most important trick they had, prayer. Friends, prayer is one of the chief exercises of faith. And for the disciples to not pray. Oh, it should make us wonder whether the, the disciples were trying to exercise faith at all. As they tried to cast out this demon. Or perhaps they were exercising faith, but it was faith in themselves. Reliance on themselves as opposed to reliance on God. And maybe they were thinking, oh, oh, Jesus gave us this gift to drive out demons. We don't need him around. We can use it apart from him. We have the gift, the spiritual gift. And Jesus is like, nah, apart from, ye, apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, Jesus doesn't want us to have stuff, even spiritual gifts, so much as he wants us to have faith in him. 
through which those gifts are empowered. Camp, elders, let us never think we have ministry figured out. Let us never think we don't need to pray. Friends, prayer is what happens when belief becomes speech. Prayer is the overflow of faith. It is what happens when faith in our hearts comes out of our mouths. If faith is belief in the heart, prayer is belief out of the mouth. Prayer is faith in flight. But the disciples had crashed and burned because they relied more on the gift than the giver. But it's faith in God that matters. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. Faith, faith, faith. Friends, it is the great dearth of the great lack of faith that so disturbs Jesus as he comes on the scene. Jesus is like, my disciples don't believe. This dad barely believes. And so Jesus laments with godly exasperation in our passage, verse 19, a faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? It's striking if Jesus is the greater Moses. You remember Moses was on the mountain with glory, came down, got really angry when he saw the people sinning, righteously angry. Jesus, the greater Moses, is not with glory. He is glory, comes down the mountain, sees his people doing what? Arguing. Instead of praying, they're arguing. Ooh, Satan loves to keep us bickering because that keeps us from praying. He works through distraction and division so that you will not pray. Keep that in mind the next time you want to fight with somebody. Friends, Jesus' disciples should have been full of faith, but here he finds them faithless. And so like, a broken Spider-Man, the disciples try to, you know, shoot their webs, use their powers, but nothing's coming because it's faith that matters. Friends, faith bridges the gap from our inability to God's ability. It's faith God's power works through. That's why Jesus told that bleeding woman in Mark 5, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. That's why he told Jairus when his little daughter died, do not fear, only believe because all things are possible for one who believes and the one who believes prays. The believer does what the desperate dad did. He brings problems to Jesus and asks in faith, even small faith, and Jesus takes care of the rest as he sees fit. But Jesus will not do that with faithless prayers. What does James say? But that we are to ask in faith for, one, for the one who doubts must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And James goes on to say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Friends, humble people pray. Believing people pray. Proud people don't. And it's the disciples' pride, as evidenced by their prayerlessness, that God reveals by letting them fail. He uses their failure to and love, teach them this deeper lesson about faith. Beloved, God is in the business of redeeming even our failures for our good. He puts us in positions tailor-made 
to remind us that our strength, skill, wisdom, and ability is not enough. He will put you in the exact pickle you need to be in to make clear that unless he does it, it will not be done. And so the challenge we who are not yet in glory have before us is to believe and to keep praying. To not rely on ourselves, but to keep praying. Let that be the summary of these last 18 months I've had with you, beloved. Keep praying. Do not abandon prayer. Beloved, God forbid that we should gather in community groups and serve on serve teams and get new offices at the church, but abandon prayer. May it never be. To abandon prayer is to embrace atheism, one theologian said. But I am so thankful for you, Hiron City Church, because you all embrace the throne of grace. I'm so thankful that you grab it week after week as a church and ask God. I'm so thankful for congregational prayer. Wish we had an hour to do it where we come and basically say as a church, Abba, Father, we have something to ask you. You can say no, but you are willing and able and we will not let go until you bless us in Jesus' name. And seeing... And hearing and amening your prayers, beloved. Oh, how I long to encourage y'all in this. It is one of the greatest joys of my ministry. Hearing you pray. Saying amen when you pray. You all are already praying in faith. Beloved. Keep praying. It is a blessing to me and a blessing to others. I mentioned Dawson Baptist Church earlier. Their senior pastor was actually here last week in our service. I didn't even realize he was here. One of you told me he was. So I texted him, David Eldridge. I said, yo, were you here on Sunday? Was that you? This is what he said. That was me and my youngest son. We were deeply encouraged by the emphasis upon corporate prayer. Keep praying, beloved. Let's pray. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help us, Lord. Help us to stake it all on Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of United We Pray. You can find more information about our work at uwepray.com. That's U-W-E-P-R-A-Y.com. United We Pray is a donor-supported ministry, and if you're interested in supporting our work, you can find out more information on the website. In prayer.